0: As part of the Leading Edge Group podcast series, Breaking the Mould, I would like to welcome Tom Barry, Executive Secretary of the Conservation of Arctic Flora and Fauna, which is a working group within the Arctic Council. Good morning, Tom.
1: Good morning, John.
0: Tom. Tom, you were born in a small Irish village, Caritool in East Cork. Did you always have a, a passion to travel and work abroad? Uh,
1: I did when I was uh, born and bred in Caritoul in Cork. It was always expected or assumed that you would leave and you would go somewhere. So I've travelled and lived in many different countries over the years and finally settled in uh, Northern Iceland.
0: And how did you end up living in Iceland, Tom and Rare and Rear in a family in Akureyri in Northern Iceland?
1: Well, my wife might be curious about me Rear in the family. <laughs> but, uh, uh, I was two years into a PhD at University College Cork and uh, I met my wife. And it's always a woman at fault somewhere behind it. That's it. And uh, I decided life was too short. I was doing a PhD in migration studies. And I decided to migrate myself. Called my wife, my no wife. Told her I was coming. And she said, really? (laughs) And that was it. And there I am.
0: The rest is history. Uh, And what drove you, Tom, in those early years? Or what, what motivated you as a person?
1: It's not until my current job that I actually found something that motivated me in terms of career development. I used to work as an archaeologist, and I had a lot of different careers before I ended up where I am. But for the first time where I'm now working, I feel that I have the opportunity to actually make a difference. So no matter how small a potential there is in everything that I do in my job, is a potential that might impact upon some measure that would help protect and conserve environments and ecosystems and biodiversity in the Arctic and elsewhere. So what drives me is to try and contribute my best to making such change happen.
0: Excellent Tom. As mentioned in the introduction, you're working for the Arctic Council involved in a biodiversity working group. Can you explain to our listeners your specific roles and responsibilities?
1: I work within uh, an organisation called the Arctic Council, which is the uh, preeminent forum for discussion among Arctic states, what happens in the Arctic with regards to environment, social issues, economic issues and so on. The Arctic Council itself is divided into six different working groups and I'm the executive secretary of that group called the Conservation of Arctic Flora and Fauna, which deals with biodiversity. So, in that role, I coordinate a whole range of Arctic-wide monitoring and assessment programs, where we sit as the bridge between the worlds of science and the worlds of policy. So my job is to try and interpret all the information that scientists amass about what's happening in the Arctic, the changes that are coming, and try to extract policy-relevant recommendations that would help decision-makers take the correct decisions in time and in the right order to help enact change and help to react to the changes that are coming to climate change and other changes in the Arctic.
0: And the members, come of the Arctic Council, they include America,
1: uh, yeah, the, the, Canada... Uh, So there are eight Arctic states that uh, form the Arctic Council. You have all the Nordic countries, Iceland, Finland, Norway, Sweden, uh, the Kingdom of Denmark, which includes the Faroes, the Faroe Islands, and Greenland. Then you have uh, Russia, the United States, and Canada. You also have a whole range of non-Arctic states, such as China, Singapore, European states, such as Poland, Italy, the United Kingdom, and so on. Uh, In addition, you have uh, six indigenous organizations, such as the Sami, the Inuit, the Athabaskans, Aluath and the Gwich'in. Mm-hmm. And in addition to all of these, you then have a whole range of organisations such as the United Nations, the European Environment Agency, lots of different organisations that uh, take observer seats at the uh, Arctic Council. So it's quite broad and diverse range of interests and organisations and countries that form the Council. And how is it funded, Tom? Uh, All of the Arctic states fund the Arctic uh, Council. They fund the various different working groups uh, through both direct funding and in-kind funding by providing experts
0: and resources to uh, make their uh, requests happen. But I would imagine it must be quite difficult. You've got some very small countries there, and you've got the states, you've got Canada, you've got Russia. Like, I wonder, how difficult is it, the working of the Arctic Council? It must be quite difficult. because uh, Well, well it's,
1: it's very challenging because in addition to the states, you also have all the indigenous organizations. Okay. So what makes the Arctic Council unique as a regional global forum is the role that indigenous groups have in this body. So it's the only body where in six indigenous groups, from Inuit to Sami and many others, have a seat at the decision-making table with the Arctic states so that they don't have the same rights but they have to be consulted in everything that happens. So it's leading the way in how uh, society was trying to find ways to work and to cooperate together on how they address complex social and environmental issues. But one thing you should keep in mind about the Arctic Council is that it's not a decision-making body. It's a, a consensus forum. Okay. So uh, everyone has to come to common agreement on how this works. And uh, it's interesting the origins of the Arctic Council, they actually, the impetus to create it originated in Russia during Gorbachev's time in Perestroika and Glasnost, okay. Gorbachev came out with a landmark speech where he proposed making the Arctic a zone of peace. And he outlined a whole range of initiatives for that. And the Arctic Council can be traced back to, to this
0: first initiative from Russia. And, and does the Arctic Council have any um, involvement, say, in security aspects? Uh, no, they Within don't. the Arctic? They do There's two things that the Arctic Council
1: doesn't address, and that deals with fishing and uh, any sort of military issues. But what they do do is they have facilitated the creation of Coast Guard Forum in the Arctic, where Coast Guards from across the uh, the Arctic region cooperate in search and rescue initiatives, and uh, they've helped facilitate the signing of legally binding agreements with regards to search and rescue, emergency response, what to do if an oil spill happens, and things like this. Okay. So it's been very instrumental in trying to find ways to make sure that there are frameworks in place to deal
0: with issues or accidents or emergencies that might happen in the future. And in your role, Tom, with the conservation of Arctic flora and fauna, you must be—you must have a lot of travel commitments. I do, and the
1: great thing about it is I end up going to places in the middle of nowhere
0: that I wouldn't <laughs> ever
1: have a chance to go. Uh, I spent a lot of time traveling in Russia, the Yakuts, Siberia. At the moment, uh, the US is the chair of my particular group, and so I'm spending a lot of time in, in, uh, in Alaska. And uh, the policy of the group where I work, CAF, is that we tend to have our meetings in those areas okay. where biodiversity and the issues are at hand that we're discussing. So we've travelled a lot to remote areas that are out of the normal, not normal path, path of Got to
0: it's quite a change, Tom, from where you were reared in a, in, a, in a small village in Cork. Has that been difficult, that transition, yes. initially when you, when you took up your role with the Arctic Council? Uh, no, I, I, I think being born... Or was it natural? Car, it was natural.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think being born in Ireland, you were always uh, geared up that you were going to travel the world. And assume, it was assumed that as soon as you finished college, you were heading out to explore the world and see what it had to offer.
0: Very, very good. Uh,
1: so I travel extensively, but it's always new and exciting, interesting places. You get to deal with diverse ranges of people from uh, indigenous groups, okay. from uh, non-Arctic states and Arctic states. And it's very complex issues that they're addressing, and it's fascinating.
0: Very good. Now, certain people, as we see in the media, have been vociferous that climate change is fake news. So, interested in your response to this, Tom? Well, I mean, climate change is real, and it's happening.
1: And one of the, the mandate of the group where I work is to provide scientific-based advice and recommendations for decision-makers in the Arctic. So, we're directly trying to ensure that those people who make decisions on issues that affect the Arctic have valid scientific advice to inform the decision-making. So climate change is real and happening,
0: and fake news is, is fake news. <laughs> are you disillusioned just on that with the progress on, on climate change and the environmental pressures?
1: Personally, I'm not, but I'm very optimistic by nature anyway. But in the Arctic, it's actually, the Arctic Council is one of those regional bodies which has, so far has not been impacted by all of these global issues that are going on outside. So it's actually a great example of how states with dissimilar vested interests and dissimilar approaches can come together and find a way to cooperate on very complex issues. I view that as a very optimistic path forward for the future, and I see it, things
0: improving. And Tom, where do you see your future? I suppose from a family and business perspective, are you going to continue to live in Iceland, or are you, are you looking at coming back to, to Ireland, or well, who, who knows what, what's what, in your future? Who
1: knows what, what the future holds? But for the moment, I'm engaged in these sort of very important environmental issues. I feel I'm making a strong contribution. So for the moment, quite happy where I am. But who knows what the future holds.
0: And finally, Tom, do you miss the four seasons in Ireland? Or have you become acclimatised to the Icelandic conditions?
1: Uh, uh, (laughs) Well, uh, in Iceland, you tend to have two seasons, summer and winter. And uh, I have to say, I love it. Long 24-hour daylight in the summer, darkness in the winter. Suits me perfectly. And my boys now, I have two boys in Iceland and they're half Irish, Icelandic, and uh, so I have a foot in both worlds and I come back to Cork on a regular basis just to get
0: a a touch of the rain and the breeze. (laughs) Well, that's great, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Your your journey to Akareri in Iceland and your travails across the Arctic countries I think is quite a story for our listeners and and we wish you the very best in your future endeavours in the region uh, in support of our planet and indeed uh, safeguarding of flora and fauna. Thank you, Tom. Thanks very much. Thanks.